Good morning. Good to see everybody. I was just saying to Gary that last week on, on Valentine's Day when we had the smaller crowd here, we had the uh, fiery message, and then this week everybody's back, and we have the boring message. Um, the role of the pastor. I know that's what everybody wanted to come and hear this morning, the role of the pastor. And uh, I think it's I think it's a particular relevance to our church right now, but I wouldn't I wouldn't fault you for thinking, oh, Ryan, that sounds like it's a particular relevance to you. Maybe you should just kind of go and study that and then just do it instead of talking to us about it. But I think it's something that, every, that everybody needs to, to hear about for uh, a couple of reasons that we're going to get into this morning. There's actually two, you know, we're taking a break from our series on the I Am Statements. We're in the middle of this series on the statements of Jesus these statements that Jesus makes about himself. And we're taking a break in that series to do this special message, two occasions, two events that have kind of brought that up and made me want to stop here and talk about this right now. The first occasion, the first event that's sparking this is this meeting that you've heard mentioned tomorrow night, this meeting of ministry leaders, this new group that we're starting at our church. A couple of weeks ago, or maybe like a month ago after church, we had a short meeting where I said, hey, we're going to be changing the leadership structure. We're going to have this new group. They're called ministry leaders. Let me know if you want to be involved. And I think that for some of you, it's like, well, I don't really know how to let you know if I want to be involved because I don't really know what it's about yet. You know, I'm kind of confused about what it is. So as we talk about the role of the pastor this morning, one of the things we're going to touch on on the way there is who are these ministry leaders? What's this new thing that we're starting at our church, the ministry leaders? What's this meeting tomorrow night about? So now we have it's a message about the role of the pastor and our meeting tomorrow night, which is just, this is just getting better. Um, so that's the first occasion is this meeting tomorrow night. The second occasion is, is this message that we had last week. And last week, for those of you that weren't here, we had a message on that Jesus is the good shepherd, part two. We talked about how to follow Jesus. Two weeks ago, we talked about what does it mean for, for us to say that Jesus is our good shepherd? What is Jesus talking about when he says that? Last week, we talked about if Jesus is our good shepherd, if we're Jesus's sheep, so to speak, how do we follow him? And we talked about three really personal things. We have to follow him comprehensively, we have to follow him unconditionally, and we have to follow him personally. Now, let me dive into those real quickly, just because without understanding this, you want to understand why this week's message is important. So comprehensively, I, I said to everybody here, You know, Jesus doesn't allow you to pick and choose the areas where you follow him. So he doesn't let you say, well, I want to keep this area of sin or pain or addiction to myself, but I'll give up this other thing, you know, as a trade. There's no substitutions. He doesn't allow you to say, well, I don't want to do that good thing because that sounds hard, but I'll do this other good thing instead. So I, I challenged everybody. I said, some of you in here have secrets. Some of you sitting here have secrets that you've kept from Maybe everybody, maybe just a couple of people know. And Jesus wants you to open that area, that specific area of your life up to him. And I want you to decide to do it right now. And to others of you in this, this first heading of comprehensively following him in every area, to others of you, said, I said, some of you have good things that God's been nudging you to do, but you haven't wanted to do it for whatever reason. You've been putting it off. And I want you to decide in your seat right now that you're going to do that thing. Make that decision. That was comprehensively. Unconditionally, following Jesus unconditionally, we talked about how shepherd, sheep, he knows what's going on. We don't we understand. And sometimes we go through these times that make no sense, these times of pain, these times of suffering. And that whether that is a, a, something that's sent from God or not, regardless of the source of that, it's always a test. It's always a test if we'll follow Jesus even when things don't make sense, even when we can't understand. 
I challenge those of you who are in that sort of situation right now to recommit yourselves to trusting Jesus, to following Jesus, even through this time that, that can't make any sense, this time of terrible suffering that you don't understand and that you may, you may never understand, to decide I'm going to follow Jesus unconditionally even through that. And the third thing was to follow Jesus personally, and we talked about how some of us have let our following of Jesus become something that can be reduced to a set of principles or practices or beliefs, and we're forgetting that there's a person, that Jesus wants us to not just follow a system, but follow him personally, to talk with him. He wants us to become friends. And we talked about how that takes a conscious effort, and I challenged others of you to make this effort to recommit, to decide to follow Jesus personally again. So I think that some of you did exactly that last week. I think that some of you sat there in your seats and decided, said, I'm going to do this. I'm being challenged to decide. I'm going to do it. I'm deciding. I have decided. I walk out a changed person. The problem is, I think some of you also may have felt like, well, it'd be kind of nice to have a little bit of help with this. You know, like, I've made the decision, now what? Where do I take this? Where do I go with this? Is there anybody there to help me? If I, if I have a secret that I'm ready to not be a secret anymore, who do I tell? If I have this good thing that I want to do, where do I start? If I want to start following Jesus personally again, is there anybody that can kind of show me how? If I'm going through this terrible time that I can't understand, sure, I'll decide to follow Jesus during it, but is there anybody that can walk with me? In other words, is there a pastor anywhere around here? You know, where is the pastor? The pastor is somebody we think of as this religious professional akin to like a doctor or a lawyer that comes alongside of you when you need spiritual counsel and gives you this specialized knowledge to help. You know, your, your doctor you go to when you need some medical counsel, your lawyer you go to when you need some legal counsel, and your pastor you go to when you need some spiritual counsel. And with all of those three guys, the question is, is, is he a good one? You know, you want a good lawyer, you want a, a good doctor, somebody that's worth the money, somebody that's worth the, the time and the investment, somebody that you can recommend to your friends. So do you have a good pastor? Well, not, not according to that model, for two very obvious reasons. One, you have a, a part-time pastor, and two, you have a 20-something pastor. Now, why should those things matter? They matter for, for a situation like last week. You have... This, these people last week, us, you know, who maybe we want to make this decision to follow Jesus in these specific ways. But I think that those of you that wanted to do that, that made that decision last week and would have liked to have somebody come alongside you, I think can be roughly divided into to two camps. First, there's those of you that would, would like to come to me. And I said last week during the message, I said, hey, I'm here, I'm available, I want to help. There's those of you that would like to come to me but don't really believe that I'm available. That's the, the part-time part, you know, and you, and you may be right. The, um, the second group of those is, is those of you who, who really have no interest in, in coming to me. You know, and it's like, no offense, you're a fine preacher and everything, but you know, when I'm working through some of this stuff, it'd be nice to have somebody that's a little bit older. Um, Reese is, we, the doctor's office that we go to with Reese, the pediatrician they assigned her to is this, like, you know, girl that's just finishing her residency. She's, like, our age. You know, and we're young. I mean, we're the same age she is. But we're not like, oh, cool, we've got, like, the, the young doctor we can relate to. We're like, give us a real doctor, you know. Like, what is this? This is a joke. And we're, and we're the same age as she is, you know. So even more so for somebody that's older, it's like, okay, give me, give me a real pastor. So there, in terms of this... Religious professional model, I hate to break it to you, but your, your pastor has a couple of major deficiencies. 
Now, I think that those deficiencies are a blessing in disguise, and here's why. I think that because of the way our church is set up, those deficiencies are going to force our church into doing church the way that the Bible talks about it, the way God wants it to be done, instead of falling into this other pattern. And when I say it's a blessing in disguise, I mean that I don't mean um, like there's a silver lining. I'm not saying, hey, it's not the best case scenario, but at least there's this upside to it. There's a good thing about it. No, I'm saying that it actually is forcing us to do things the right way. There's an easy way to do church, and there's a right way to do church. And when the easy way is closed off to you for whatever reason, then the, the right way is all you've got left, and you're kind of pushed in that direction, whereas otherwise you might be tempted to come up with some other solution. So if I was 55 and I was doing this 50 to 60 hours a week, you know, I think with, this, with a group this size, I could make it happen. We could have a church where everybody was pastored, where everything kind of worked. Uh, me not being that way means that that option, which is the wrong way to do it, is closed off to us and we get to, to explore the right way to do things. So I hope that there's a way in for you into this message, you know, that would otherwise be kind of boring. We're going to talk about seven words, seven New Testament words that people think of as associated with church leadership, the seven words of New Testament church leadership, which I'm just thinking of Carlin's seven words you can't see on television. And This is so much cooler than that. I mean, so much more interesting and entertaining. Anyway, I hope that this, you know, there's a way in for you. Either it's that, hey, I'd like a pastor, I want to know how this works, or it's, hey, I want to be more involved, you know, I want to be a ministry leader, and I'd like to know more about that. Or maybe for some of you, you know, you just kind of have, like, I've always wanted to know how this is supposed to work, and be nice to have that answered. Um, if there isn't a way in, you know, I, I realize that this message has less applicability than some other, so just come back next week and um, find something interesting to, to doodle, you know, in the in the interim. But I think that there's something here for everybody, despite the the narrow title. So let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you for the way that you provided this group of people for us so that we can know you, so that we can not just be out on our own, trying to figure things out, but that we can have a community where we seek you together. We pray, God, that you would make our church a church that pleases you, a church that conforms to the way that you want it to look, a church that operates efficiently, effectively, a church that's powerful. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the seven words are pastor, priest, minister, and then the, the last four are all in the New Testament also, and they're a little weirder. Elder, deacon, bishop, and overseer. So pastor, priest, minister, elder, deacon, bishop, and overseer. Now those first three, pastor, priest, and minister, I think people think of like, oh, aren't those just all synonyms? You know, just three ways of saying the same thing. Your pastor, your priest, your minister, you know take your term of choice. They're not. They're not synonyms at all. They couldn't be more different from each other. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. And then those other ones, elder, deacon, you know, if you know what an elder is or a deacon is, you feel like you're kind of like on the inside. You know, like, oh, I know about church. I, I, know the, I know a deacon. I know someone who is a deacon. And then bishop and overseer are words that we hardly use at all, but they're in the New Testament. You see in these passages on church leadership, there are these words that pop up, and I want to talk about what are those words, who are those people. Three groups of, I'm going to 
break those, those seven words down into three groups. First, priest and minister. And then second, deacon. Deacon stands alone. And then third, the last four, overseer, bishop, pastor, and what was, what was the last one? Elder. Thank you. So first, priest and minister. Priest and minister may be the ones that people think they have the best handle on. I want to debunk that myth right at the beginning. Um, priest and minister, we've got a list of seven. We can immediately take that list down to five. Priest and minister are the only words on that list of seven that don't apply to church leaders at all. Priest and minister are words that apply to church members. They apply to everybody. They're not words for church leaders. They're words for church members. Now, before I can make sense of that statement, we have to make sense of what a member is. By the way, I forgot to apologize for this up front, too. We're going to have to do a little bit of linguistics this morning, which excites some of you and just makes others of you cringe. Um, But just either way, keep the end goal in mind. We're trying to figure out how we operate, and we have to kind of get behind the facade of some of these words to see what they're really talking about. So, every member is a priest and minister. Well, first, what's a member? Member is body part. This is a synonym for body part. It's the Latin for body parts. It's not like, I don't, I'm not saying like that's the essence of member. I'm saying that is what member means. That's the definition of it. You could say, well, it's a constituent of an organization. Well, you just said it's a body part. You know, the organization, body. So, member is a body part. And we have this image in the Bible Paul talks about the church as a body and all these different members of it. All these, you know, you got the arms, you got the eyes, you got the legs. Everybody does different things. So every member, every person that's a part of the body of Christ, a part of the church, is both a minister and a priest. First, the minister. Minister is again one of these facade words. Minister just means servant. The Greek word in the New Testament for servant, sometimes they translate it servant, sometimes they translate it into Latin minister. They do they do either one. It just means servant. Every person that's a member of the church is a minister because every person serves. That's the whole idea of the body metaphor. The whole point of it is to say everybody that's part of this group has some function. Everybody that's part of this group does something. They serve some role. They contribute in some way. Now, that's for the benefit of the body, sure. Like everybody, you know, benefits from everybody else pitching in. But it's also for the the benefit of the individual member. Like no person is growing in Christ. No person is growing personally without this this service. So that's the first thing. Every member is a minister. The second thing is every member of the church, every person involved in the church is a priest. Now, priest is not a facade word. You know, some of these, so you read through your Bible and you've got these religious jargon words some of them are just normal everyday words that are spun in a fancy way and we try to kind of get past those some of them are just weird religious words they have a specific religious meaning priest is one of those it has a specific religious meaning and a priest is someone who acts as an intermediary between god and people a go-between someone who intercedes so in the old testament they have these priests they have a temple we talked about this like a month ago a temple where God would dwell. And the people could be outside the temple or some of the people could go into some of the rooms, like just a few rooms in. But then there were special rooms, like in the back inner part of the temple, and only the priests could go there. Only a select few could go to those rooms. And the priests would go, and they would go on behalf of all the people. They were representatives, like, you know, like elected government, but these were just religious versions of that. They would go in on behalf of all the people. They were the only ones allowed in the special room, and they would go and they would make offerings on behalf of the people to God, and they would receive messages from God. They were a go-between between for, for God and the people, building a bridge between them. 
So when Jesus is on the cross, there's this big curtain that separates this special room for priests only and the rest of the temple, and the curtain tears dramatically. It's this symbol from top to bottom. The message is pretty straightforward. I am the final intermediary. I'm the final go-between. I have once and for all made this a lasting link between God and man. I've eliminated the need for priests. So there's two ways you could go with that. One, you could just say, no more priests. We don't need priests anymore. That'd be accurate. The other way you could go with it is to say, like a lot of New Testament writers do, we're all priests now. They're trying to underscore the idea that, on the one hand, yeah, we don't need priests on it anymore. But on the other hand, the other way you could say it is we're all priests. We can all go into the presence of God. We can all, without any intermediary on our behalf, go into this holy place where we can go to God ourselves for mercy, where we can go to God ourselves for whatever we need, where we can make offerings ourselves to God. We don't need a priest to go on our behalf. The entire book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it's a long book, is about this concept of Jesus as the great high priest, who is the priest once and for all. And the best line, well, there's a lot of great lines, but one of the, the greatest lines in that book is, the author says, so since, therefore, since we have this great high priest, who's gone before us. Let us now then go into the throne room of grace with confidence, asking for mercy. We can go ourselves, and we can go on behalf of one another. You can be a priest for your friend. You can be a priest for your family, and they can for you. Like, we, we still can't get, we don't grasp this. People want the pastor to pray for them, or the priest to pray for them. Like, the pastor has a direct line to God. You have a direct line to God. You're the one that has the direct line to God. When's the last time that you went to God on behalf of somebody else or you took your own request to God with that type of force and that type of power? You don't need somebody else to do it for you. The person sitting next to you is a priest. The person on your right and on your left, the person that you're in your small group with, they're all priests. We're supposed to be priests to each other. Could spend a long time on that, but we're going to move on because this is about the role of the pastor. So every member is a minister and every member is a priest. We're getting rid of these extra words and getting down to just what is the essence of what the pastor is supposed to do. So that's first what everybody's supposed to do. Everybody can be their own intermediary between with God, and everybody needs to be ministering and serving. So that's the first group that you find within the church is all the members, and those are the things that the members do. The second group is this one word, deacon. It's the only word in the New Testament that describes the second group of people that you find in the church. And deacon is a bad, I hate the word deacon. It's a bad word. You should hate it too. And here's why. It's a made-up word, which means nobody ever understands it. And by made-up word, I mean, like, when they're translating the Bible, sometimes they translate it into, like, a real existing word in the other language. Other times, they just don't know what word to use, so they just don't translate it. They make up a new word. Like the word angel. The word angel is just the Greek word for messenger. That's what angel, angel's a Greek word, and it means messenger. So if you were going to translate it, you translate it messenger. But the translators are looking at it and they're like, well, these are kind of weird messengers. They're all shiny. And like if we call them messengers in English, people might not get it. But we don't have another word to use, so we'll just use angel. We'll just transliterate it. We won't translate it at all. We'll just kind of do a phonetic thing and put it in English characters or whatever, Latin or whatever, and not translate it at all. Same thing with deacon. I talked earlier about the Greek word for service and how sometimes they translate that word minister and sometimes they translate it servant. That Greek word is diakonos. It means servant. And most of the time they translate it as servant or minister, but some of the time, a couple times, 
they translate that Greek word diakonos as deacon. In other words, they don't translate it. They just kind of say, well, it sounds kind of like deacon. So deacon is easier to say, it's easier to pronounce, but it's not any easier to understand. What are deacons? When they do that, why do they do that? Why don't they just translate it as servant? They do that because there's a couple instances in the New Testament where the word diakonos, where this word servant, from the context, it's clear that it isn't talking about just your everyday run-of-the-mill servant. It's not just talking about a minister like the normal members of the church who have a specific office. It's talking about a very special type of servant who is the leader of other servants, someone who leads others in ministry. They do ministry themselves, but they also lead others in ministry. So you get this happening for the first time, and if you were in our life groups last fall, you remember us studying this passage in Acts chapter 6, where the elders of the church, and that's the the group we're going to come to next, the third group, the elders of the church are doing the ministry of the church, and they're teaching the church and kind of praying and leading the church. And one of the things, one of the ministries that the church has is to pass out food to widows. So the elders are overseeing this, and they're doing a terrible job at it. It's a mess. It's a total mess. Everybody's upset because they're just not good at it. So they get this bright idea, and they say, hey, okay, right now we have two groups of people. We've got elders, and we've got the members, everybody else. Why don't we institute a third group? Why don't we found a new group of leaders that are ministry leaders that will lead the ministries of the church, and then we'll focus on other things? These are the deacons. Then throughout the rest of the New Testament, when you see people writing letters to churches, they'll talk about the members, and then they'll say, and the elders and the deacons, elders and the deacons, these two separate offices. This meeting tomorrow night, these ministry leaders that we've been talking about, that's who these people are. If you come from another church, you've heard this word deacon before, that's who they are. They're deacons. We're not going to use the word deacons because, like I said, it's a terrible word. Um, it makes no sense. And it comes with all sorts of baggage. You know, people think of these weird things that have nothing to do with being a ministry leader. But that's what a deacon is. It's a ministry leader. It's someone who leads other people in ministry. So I said earlier, every member has to have some ministry. They have to be doing something. You say, well, how do I, how do, I do that? Well, the idea of the deacons, the idea of the ministry leaders is, you have people that are leading in these different areas, and then you can come and get behind one of them who's leading in an area that works for you. You can say, oh, I'll serve behind this person. They can help me. They can, they can lead my service, and I'll serve under them. That's who the ministry leaders are. So who should come to this meeting tomorrow night? Anybody and everybody that's either, A, thinking they might be equipped to do something like this, to lead other people in ministry, or B, just if you're interested, if you just want to know more about how it works, if you want to understand better who these ministry leaders are and how they'll function within the broader structure of our church, come tomorrow night. We're going to be talking specifically about this second group as distinct from members, the second group, the ministry leaders who lead the ministries of the church, the work of the church, the stuff the church does in the world. So those are the first two groups, and now we're finally getting to the, the focus of the message, the role of the pastor, this third group, and we've got four words left. Those four words are bishop, overseer, pastor, and, gosh, elder. I keep forgetting elder. Elder is another bad word, which is why I keep forgetting it. Bishop, pastor, overseer, and elder. They're actually called most often elder in the in the New Testament, but all these words are used interchangeably. Again, going to the background words a little bit. Sorry to be doing this so much, but it's, it's difficult to get at the essence of what these words are talking about without it. So those four English words come from three Greek words. The word pastor is this Greek word poimen, which just means shepherd. 
so it's poimen in Greek, it's shepherd. Pastor is Latin for shepherd, and then we just stick with the Latin and say pastor. We should just say shepherd. The first word is pastor is just shepherd. It's poimen in Greek. And then the, the other two Greek words, there's this Greek word, episkopos, which is the bishop slash overseer. They translate it both ways. And then there's the word elder, which is presbyteros. You've heard of you know Presbyterians or Episcopalians. That's where they get those, those terms from, those Greek words for church leadership. Who are these people? They're not different groups of people. They're all the same group. It's all talking about one group of people. Finally, now we're getting to the passage on the back of your outline. Take it out. Uh, I'm going to read this again. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. I'll just read the beginning. So he says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, that's the presbyteros, elders, first word, as your fellow elder and witnesses of the suffering of Christ, and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd, pastor, poimen, the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, episkopos. You've got all three of them there in the same verse. They're all three, just three ways of describing the same person, the same office within the church. This is the person that we commonly think of as the pastor. But it's not one person, it's a group of people. The elders, the bishops, the overseers, the pastors, one group of people, all describing the same thing. So what are these people supposed to do? What's their function? Well, the three descriptive terms there talk about three different things that this role is supposed to do. These people in the church, three different aspects of their position. So the elder part, the, the presbyteros part, is the teaching. Every elder has to teach. Teaching is part of their role in the church, is to teach. There's supposed to be this maturity, this wisdom, and they're supposed to teach out of that. Then the bishop part, the overseer part, is this guiding and leading and governing and ruling over the church. The Bible talks a lot about that. And then the third part, the, the point main, is the shepherding. That's the watching over. So if you want a cute way to remember that, that's feeding, leading, and heeding the the sheep, the flock. Feed, lead, and heed. That's what these elders are supposed to do. They're supposed to give the word of God. They're supposed to feed the people the word of God. They're supposed to lead and govern the congregation. They're supposed to watch over the, the spiritual needs of those in the congregation. This is not one person. Like I said, it's a group of people, and we're going we're gonna to talk more about that in just a second. But first, before we talk more about that, I want to come back to this question that we started with at the beginning of, okay, well, who is supposed to be doing this for me? Who are these people? You know, we talked about how we're going to be founding this group of ministry leaders for the first time. Who are these elders? Who are these pastors? You know, if I have somebody that I want to go to, who am I supposed to go to? Well, the problem was, and this is what we talked about in the meeting, and this is getting a little bit ticky-tacky, but it just doesn't make sense without this. The problem was we had a leadership team before that was kind of standing in the mushy middle. It was a hybrid, and it was doing some of this deacony, servicey ministry stuff, and that was distracting, just like it was from the elders, you know, back in Acts chapter 6, from this work of feeding, leading, and heeding, this work of praying for the congregation of teaching of all these things. It wasn't explicitly either one or the other. So what the members of the leadership team decided to do is say, hey, let's dissolve ourselves. We're standing in the middle. We're preventing either group from really forming. Let's dissolve ourselves, and we'll let both of those groups, as distinct groups, kind of form so the deacons, this ministry leaders team, is going to be starting tomorrow night. It's going to be the first step of it. Like I said, it's an informational meeting. You can come. We can talk about it. And then a couple weeks from now, you can make a commitment one, one way or the other. Same thing with the elders. Same thing with this group of pastoral leaders. 
in time, this is going to be something that forms more explicitly. There's people that are they're doing this now. You know, obviously, I'm doing this, but also those members of our leadership team, like I said, it was kind of hybrid. So Jason and Kara and, and Bethany are all doing this elder role, all have been praying and watching over and teaching. And Gary, too, something that's not on the leadership team, but Gary's another one that's been serving in this kind of elder capacity, somebody that's teaching the church, that's watching over the church. So we've been doing it, but we haven't been doing it explicitly. We haven't had a specific group of people just to do this. And in the coming months, we're going to kind of institute that. You say, what do I do in the meantime? You know, do I just have to wait until this is, this is implemented? Well, a couple of things. One, I'm going to send out an email this week with those people that I just mentioned, their email addresses. So at least there's a little bit more diversity there than just me. And if you had something from last week that you decided to do and would like to, to follow up with somebody about it, I hope you'll click the link and email one of those people, you know, at your pick, and it can just stay between you and them. And that's kind of an intermediary measure. But the other thing is, I don't want this to just, the, the pastoring of the church, I think that, you know, we're going to have not just me, but a few elders, a few pastors along with me eventually. You know, Jason's obviously one of those people already. I don't want it even to just stay that group of four or five or six or whatever. I also want in our life groups, in our weekly, midweek gatherings, in our Bible studies, the people that are leading each of the different groups are going to be pastors to that group of people. And I'm not just talking about the Bible study part. I'm talking about if you've been to our life groups, you've heard me talking about, okay, we're going to start eventually doing these prayer times together. We're going to spend a lot of the time in Bible study and then a lot of the time talking about our needs as individuals, supporting each other, praying for one another, that sort of thing. That's the place where you get pastored. The leader of that group ends up being your pastor in the sense of shepherd. So going back to the beginning, we were talking about this religious professional that you go to advice for. You know, a pastor has to be a lot more than that. You can't just go see your pastor every six months when you've got a serious problem. It's not somebody you go to like a consultant. Your pastor, if it's going to be a shepherd, has to be somebody that walks with you every day. I mean, they're not like calling you every day, but, you know, weekly, right? I mean, you're, you're in touch with this, you're living with this person in a way that they know what's going on in your life. You say, I thought Jesus was supposed to be my shepherd. Isn't that what we just talked two weeks about? Well, he is, but in this passage, let me go back to the back of your notes here. Peter says, the last couple lines there, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crowd of glory. So Jesus is like a chief shepherd, and then he has these people that he puts over his flock, in charge of his flock, as stewards of it. You remember when Peter makes the confession to Christ, he says, Jesus says, who do you think I am, Peter? And Peter says, you're Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And Jesus turns right back to him and says, yes, and you are Peter, the rock upon whom I'm going to build my church. Now, note the possessive there, it's my church, it's Peter, it's Jesus' church. He says, it's my church, but I'm going to build it on you. You're going to be the one that I do it through. And Jesus has these under-shepherds, so to speak, who shepherd his flock on his behalf as stewards of something that he's entrusted to them. And then there's going to be a reckoning someday, which is a scary thought. Um, But also an exciting thought, you know, that's the idea of this crown of glory. So these other shepherds you need in your life to help you in this pursuit of following the good shepherd. It's not something that you can do on your own. Just like you need a ministry leader to help you get involved in your ministry in the church, you need a pastor, somebody that's walking with you, not just somebody up front, to help you in your pursuit of Jesus, to help you in your following of Jesus. And the most people that anybody can pastor is like 
10 or 12, really. I mean, Jesus pastored 12 guys, and he was God, you know, so somewhere shy of 12. You, you need somebody that can be with you on, a, on that type of intimate basis. What we're going to be doing slowly, this is an aspirational message, slowly as a church is working toward that, where you have an opportunity to be pastor, where if I say something on Sunday about, hey, make this decision, then you have somebody that you trust, that you know, that you can talk to about it on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday during the week, and it becomes real. That's where we're heading. In the meantime, I hope you'll contact one of us, like, like I said, but that's where we're heading. It needs to be on that level or else the, the whole thing doesn't work. You need a pastor on that level. You need somebody to shepherd you that intimately. I want to answer a couple questions about this elder role as we close or just to address a couple of additional things about it. One would be, um, where's the board? You know, you've got a, you've got a group of elders and you've got deacons. That's where you're describing the church leadership, right? You've got these deacons that do the, the lead in the ministry and you've got these elders that lead in the pastoring, lead in the feeding and the, the governing and all that sort of stuff. But who do the elders report to? Where's the board? Board is nowhere to be found, and let me explain why. Board is the board of directors. Is this concept we we borrow from corporations law? I mean, I'm in corporations right now. I know this. Um, we take this idea of a board of directors and we put it into the church. Say, oh, this sounds like a good way to to run an organization. Sounds smart. And what we'll do even sometimes is we'll take you'll, you. You may have been in churches where they'll take the word deacon or elder, and they'll put it in front of board, like deacon board or elder board. And it's a board of directors, but they try to baptize it. They baptize it like, oh, this is the special Christian board. And it's just a board of directors. And what that means is in the real deacons, there, is, there are no real deacons. So there are no real elders. There, are, there is no real group of pastors. There's just this board that's then over the pastor who's like a CEO. You know, there's no CEOs in the church in the Bible. That's, again, an American concept. So you've got your board, your CEO, well, we got our deacon board and our pastor, our elder board and our pastor. We don't have that. I will never serve at the will of the board. If we institute a board at this church, I will resign. And here's why. In the church, the elders, first they're a group. They can't be just one person. You know, you say, well, what about abuses? Well, that's why there's a group, and that's why they're offsetting. You've got elders and deacons. You've got a group of people. So it's not just one person. I'm not talking about, like, unilateral control. That's the first thing. But second, what what makes the church so different from a corporation or any other endeavor is this business of Jesus being the head of it. Jesus is ultimately the shepherd of the church. you got these under-shepherds, but ultimately it's still his church. And these elders, these pastors, are responsible ultimately to Christ, to Jesus. That's what this verse is about, meeting Jesus and him as the chief shepherd saying, well, how'd you do with my flock? How did it go? And he talks about this unfading crown of glory. You'll receive an unfading crown of glory. Now, I've talked a little bit about rewards before. This is something that's so hard for us. An unfading crown of glory, I mean, that's like something like a little kid wants from, you know, a vending machine. Like, or, you know, the last time you had a crown was like, if, you know, you remember crowns at like homecoming court, and, but still it's plastic, you know. What, we have no concept of this unfading crown of glory. Who would want that? I want it. I want that. And I don't want it because I'm vain or because I'm selfish. I'm not saying that I'm not vain or, or not selfish. I am. But that's not, a, that's not a sign of me vain, being vain or selfish. Me wanting that crown is a sign of, in some small way, my heart being aligned to the heart of God. I want that reward from Christ 
for shepherding well. That's the motivation. That's who you report to, not to some board. This group of pastors reports directly to Christ. You say, well, who deals with like salaries or, you know, performance reviews or that kind of thing? Well, we've already dealt with performance reviews, you know, how that works. With this, the salary thing, I mean, I'll tell you who said the salary at this shirt, at my salary, I, I did, and it was one half, less than one half of what was offered to me to come here. You always have way higher salaries if you have a board because they'll think, what's fair? If you have a group of elders talking about it, pastors, they're not saying, well, what's fair wage? They're saying, what can we get by with? What's the absolute minimum we can get by with in our service to God's flock? And it's not that they're not supposed to get paid. The, the New Testament talks about these guys should get paid. It says, make sure you honor these guys by paying them, especially those who labor in teaching and preaching. But it's not something where you serve at the will of the board because... Like these high, there was a guy, Riverside Church, you know, up on that West Side, famous church. That guy just got run out because they found out that he was he had like six hundred thousand dollar salary. Well, this guy is a guy that loves the Lord at some point, and I guarantee you, if he had been in charge of picking his own salary, he's not going to set it at six hundred. He's not going to like look with the other elders and be like, you know, I think I should make about six hundred grand. But when you get some board involved, some you know corporate structure, they're like, oh, here's a fair wage for an organization. And it's not an organization, organization of this size and, and stuff goes wrong. So if that scares you, you know, this idea of we just have elders and we just have deacons, these two groups, and there's no like board that sits above it. If that scares you, I we can talk more about it, you know, I can explain more why it has to be that way. But this different dynamic of Christ being in the mix prevents the type of problems that you think there'd be. And you say, well, it still seems like if you've got like a sleazeball pastor, you know, he can really like screw things up. Look, if you've got a sleazeball pastor, you've got a lot bigger problems. I mean, we think sometimes, I think in our like constitutional democracy that you can sit up, set up this system where like it's so good that no matter how bad the people are, it's still going to work. Any system is dependent on the virtue of the people involved. There's, not, there's no perfect system. This is as close as you're going to get with these groups of elders and deacons who work together to govern the church. So what I want to ask you kind of as we're moving out of this message, first, thanks for sitting through this. I do realize, you know, that it is aspects of it are more relevant to me than they are to you. But I want to first encourage those of you that think you might be somebody that God wants to use in this ministry leader role to come tomorrow night, please, and to step forward and say, yes, I'll do this. Because the whole church suffers if you don't, you know. I don't, I don't mean long-term. I mean, I think that ultimately God will raise up his people. You know, the, the service stuff is like the money stuff where it's like God doesn't, at the end of the day, need your money. And God, at the end of the day, doesn't need your time. If you don't do it, he'll just bring somebody else that will. But he says, why shouldn't you be the one that's blessed? Why shouldn't you be the one that gets to be involved? Why shouldn't you be the one who gets to be a part of the only thing that matters, who gets to have a life that's changed, who gets to have meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Why shouldn't it be you? So if you think that God may be putting ministry leader on your heart, then I'd ask you to come tomorrow night. And I, there may be a couple of you too that say, you know, I think that God wants me to be one of the pastors of this church, one of the elders. I think you know, today marks six months that Brittany and I have, have been at this church. One of the things I'm proud of over the last six months is that I have stayed true to this elder role really well. I've done just preaching and leading and praying, and I haven't gotten bogged down with the service stuff too much. 
Um, and when I say that, I mean the leading of the service stuff. Obviously, even the pastors and elders are supposed to pitch in. You know, they're supposed to be active to servants. Your leader should be your servants. But I mean the, the kind of administration. I've done a good job of that. That's one thing I'm proud of. One thing I'm not proud of is that I haven't done a good job of bringing in other people to do that with me. Everybody else has had to kind of play hybrid role. So I've been real pure in my devotion to the elder role. But everybody else, to make that possible for me, has had to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So as we, as we get these roles kind of sorted out, some of you please come tomorrow night if you want to be a ministry leader, and others of you, God may be putting it on your heart to be an elder of the church, and I want you to talk to me about that too. That's the first thing. The second thing is if you are in this church and you've ever felt like, where are the pastors? Where is the place where I'm supposed to do my ministry? Where's the system? Where are the structures? How does this whole thing work? You know, is there any support here for me, or am I just kind of all on my own? Is it just kind of show up on Sundays learn something, show up to life group, learn something, and then just do it all by myself. If you've ever felt that way, I just ask you to please hold on. Please hold on. Because we're working this through. We're getting these systems set up the way that the Bible talks about. And there is going to be support. There's going to be pastoring. There's going to be opportunities to get plugged in and serve. And I ask that you would hold on just a little bit longer as we get this figured out. One, one last thing. Before we close, I, some of you may be thinking, you know, Ryan, this is great. There's, that's a lot of structure and sounds very organized and everything. But um, I don't know if you notice, it's just us here. You know, it's just like, it's not really, we don't really need all that. It kind of seems like overkill, right? I mean, we all know each other. Like, what's the big deal? I don't know if we need all these, like, teams and stuff. Well, we're, the church is a family. And, I, you know, I don't want this to ever become, like I said, corporate. But I, what, what we did in the fall is we talked about our church being a growing family. We talked about our church being a family that wants to reach out to other people. And first, I do think we need it just for the people we have right now. I think we could, could do the ministry of Christ more effectively and more efficiently with these structures in place just for these folks. But second, God is going to bring people to a church that's prepared. God wants to grow our church, and he wants to bring people from the community into our church that don't know him and need to hear about his love. But he's going to do that through a church that is ready for them, a church that kind of has these systems in place, and when somebody shows up, they know, oh, here's where I fit in, and it's not a thing of, well, this is great, but it's kind of a madhouse. So it's not just for us. It's oriented somewhat outward, too. And in the fall, we focused on outreach and on this community outside our walls. This winter, hibernation mode, we've talked more about our own church. We've talked more about getting our our systems in place. And then in the spring, it'll probably swing back the other way. The summer, the other way, you know, we'll probably oscillate like that. Um, So as we do this, it's not just for us. If you're, if you're, still burdened with the stuff we talked about this fall about what are the people what about the people outside you know let's not get bogged down in kind of internal working stuff and I couldn't support that heart and that attitude more you know it's great but realize that this serves serves that purpose as well so different sort of message today hope to not do this sort of thing too often but felt like it was a good place for it especially since we just talked about Jesus being our good shepherd and so what are what are we supposed to look like as shepherds and and who are these people that are going to help me minister and help me to be a priest also? So we want to be priests, all of us, ministers, all of us. But you're not on your own for that. You need people above you to lead you in that. And we are working, and I am working to, to make that a reality over the coming months. I hope you will pray for me 
and pray for those. We're going to have a commissioning service probably in a couple weeks for these ministry leaders, at least talking about, okay, these are the people that are going to lead the ministry in our church. Let's follow them. Let's pray for them. Help you pray for them, too, as we work to, to do this together. Let's pray together now. Father, as I said earlier, thank you for giving us a a blueprint for how you want the church to work, and I pray that you'd help us to do it. I pray that you would, I pray especially, God, right now, that you would raise up the people that you want to be in these positions of leadership at our church. I pray that you would bring them to the front, that you would bring them to a place where they feel comfortable saying, you know, I, I think God wants me to do this. And I pray for those in our church that would like to take steps in their faith and have made decisions even, but haven't felt supported or haven't felt like there's anyone there to help them along. God, this morning we want to affirm their felt need for a pastor and for someone to lead them in ministry. And we pray that you would, as quickly as possible, help us to implement these these offices, these teams, these changes to make that a reality. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.